listeners, you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies, a playwriting podcast. Every week, we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share thoughts on playwriting and theater. We're your hosts, Sarah Cho and Sam Collier. On today's show, we will be looking at the work of Carol Churchill as part of our Playwright of the Month series. Carol Churchill is a British playwright and one of the most influential and prolific playwrights of our time. She's written more than 50 plays, and some of the best-known ones include Top Girls, Serious Money, Far Away, A Number, and Cloud Nine, which is one of the three we read for this episode. The other two were Owners, which is one of her earliest plays, and a collection of four short plays that um, I think is her newest work, and that's called Glass Kill Bluebeard Imp. So, um, Sarah, let's just start off with our first impressions, or I guess these are really like our um, third or fourth or fifth impression since we've already read some of our work, but, but looking at these three plays together, what were your first impressions this time? Okay. So before I get into the first impressions, I feel like I need to preface something to our <laughs> listeners. Okay. Okay. So I was really excited to read Carol Churchill for our, this month as a playwright because for the longest time, I <laughs> was a total uh, – like imposter <laughs> who pretended to understand Carol Churchill. Like, yeah, I love Carol <laughs> Churchill um, amongst our peers and colleagues. Uh, and so I was like, okay. I'm sure what? you're not alone in that. I think probably many people have pretended the very same thing. Oh, then you guys are liars. Okay. <laughs> so I want to take this opportunity to really understand. And I was like, maybe I'll, I'll learn something and I will actually understand um and i am just as confused <laughs> with a lot of her plays as i was when i was 19 and i thought you know maybe over time i've grown a little i read more and i like understand but i am still kind of confused <laughs> but don't I you think know. maybe you're confused in a more sophisticated way i mean growing and learning doesn't necessarily mean you understand more it could mean you're just more aware of your um, all that you don't understand. Maybe. Um, <laughs> I would, I, okay. I mean, that's, that's the nice way to say it. <laughs> but I also was like, I don't want people to think I'm dumb, but <laughs> this is, I was just like this, a lot of the three plays you read were just like over my head. I was like, what is this going? I don't understand. Well, some of the moments are, I think, quite hard to follow on the page, especially for, us as Americans reading all these British mm -hmm. um, colloquialisms. Yeah. Um, and she has hardly any stage directions. So sometimes it's hard to know. Like there will be a, a line of dialogue. And then within that line of dialogue, it's clear something has happened between the two characters. But, right. um, but there's no description of that or articulation of that in the mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. text and so it's really dense I guess is what I'm saying it's like very dense writing and you have to do a lot of work as a reader that I think 
I just think if we were seeing it on stage, a lot of it would be easier to follow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yes, it's so <laughs> tense. I I mean, there was, it was hard for me to just latch onto anything and to really try to see how it's progressing. But I'll say this. What I did notice of all the three plays is just kind of similar maybe to Paul Vogel. Um, it's just... Mm. Each play, it's like she's trying to do something different with whether it be form or structure, you know? And so mm-hmm. I, I appreciate it. Like um, with owners, I mean, I think compared to the three, it's very um, traditional in some way. Like just kind of your mm-hmm. two acts. There's a beginning, middle, end. There's these characters and maybe like the content of what she's trying to explore in terms of the the owners and renters and like what the dynamic, the politics behind that. But there's a sense of like, she's exploring something like yeah. the power play between um, yeah, different definitely. parties. And, and then you see that like, she just goes, I don't know, 180 on whole everything with cloud nine is <laughs> where it's just like, just two different acts. Um, that is just, just tipsy turvy. Like, left and right i'm like what like you know from the like the roles reversal the um the characters playing different characters but they're all the same i don't know it was like very tipsy-turvy and then Mm -hmm. this collection of the four short plays for glass kill bluebeard imp um again it's like she's she's just like throughout the regular traditional full-length play almost just like here's gonna be just collection of short plays but they Mm -hmm. all grappling with a theme of you know power women um so that's it's interesting is that she's approaching each of her work kind of playing with what we think or what you know what we perceive to be true or what and she's kind of like trying to maybe confuse us i was confused (laughs) um but something she's doing something that that i'm trying to like understand yeah well i definitely agree that the theme of power and women kind of women and their relationship to men Mm -hmm. and sex and gender and people having affairs (laughs) all these themes come up I think in all three plays, mm. but the structure over her career, the structure and form get like more abstract or more. Um, I mean, yeah, because I agree. Because Owners is a very conventional play, and then by the time we're in Cloud Nine, she's just totally exploding mm-hmm. this dramatic structure and then by the time we get to the four at the end it's almost like not even plays anymore it's like I I don't know what I would call it but it's so far from a traditional sense of you know a a play um I mean yeah there are Mm -hmm. actors playing characters and speaking dialogue but in Bluebeard's Friends I don't think it even specifies how many characters there are who's speaking what um so i just see her over the course of um these almost 50 years 
treading the same thematic ground, but going mm-hmm. new places in structure and form. So that was really cool to see. Mm-hmm. And it, so had you read, you had read Cloud Nine before or no? Yeah, I've read Cloud Nine. Me too. In, yeah. I think it was in college. I was It was part of our contemporary like playwright um, class. Oh, cool. And and I was it the same teacher, but he was British, so I was like, maybe he was like really into this, um, and that's why. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Um, every time I read Cloud Nine, I think this is the third or fourth time I've read it, and every time I read it, I'm really surprised. Like I feel like mm-hmm. I I have always forgotten eighty percent of the play. <laughs> it's always surprising to me and and new and shocking. Um, but I've never seen a production of it. I would really like to see. Yeah. Yeah. I would really like to see production of one of her plays just so I have a visual. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so let's dive into the first play, Owners. Um, you know, what did we notice? Um, favorite line of dialogue, scene, moment. But yeah, let's get into it. So Owners it's a I briefly mentioned this, but it's a satire about uh, property rights, real estate, and the people who own real estate and those who live in rented um, spaces. And uh, and it's the I don't even see like here I go like what <laughs> like I understand like what the the I feel like the the theme like she's trying she's. I'm trying to untangle here or like trying to, you know, find a din- dynamic. But I'm like, there's this guy, Clegg, <laughs> Marion, uh, <laughs> was it Lisa? <laughs> so I'm just like trying to pull out the names. There's something. Um, Alec, yeah. I think, was my favorite. He's the guy who just like sits around staring into space and being passive and not doing anything i don't know why i just found him hilarious um there was this one scene where i think marion was asking him like don't you love me more than a stranger don't you love your children Mm. more than like strangers children and he was like no not really (laughs) i don't know why i just thought that was so funny (laughs) um yeah i mean he's the one at the end who goes in to save well try to save the baby you know, it's like mm-hmm. he he has this um, – unlike everybody else in the play, mm-hmm. seems to lack this extreme selfishness. Mm. Um, yeah, I felt so bad for Lisa during the time. Like, yeah. she's just constantly like, please, like, give me my baby. Um, I know. And – I think out of all the characters, like she was just the most sympathetic. Where I just kind of yeah. attached immediately because, like, bad things were happening to her, and it was just felt really felt really unfair and what she was going through. Um, and even though this was written what in what thirty forty years ago. There's 1972. So- that 1972. was almost 50 years ago. Can you oh, believe 50, it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm still in the aughts. Like I still think I'm living in the aughts. I know, me too. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Um, there's so much about the politics 
like home ownership and renting that I was like, it's still relevant today. Like it's crazy how even there's something about um, what Carol Churchill is exploring here is just like, it's so relevant even today. Um, I feel like this is a play I would want, like I could see being put up in LA like mm. and people like this would be a good play to um to yeah. put up in LA because of all this like development there's homelessness like all this crazy like people recognize it and what's going on in our city but they're kind of refusing to really do anything about it I don't know so I feel like this play would be really good to yeah. see put up there's something here in the book that I have um she writes that one of the reasons she got the idea for this play was, well, I'll just read what she says. I was in an old woman's flat when a young man offering her money to move came around. He was my first image of Worsley and one of the starting points of the play. And just this idea of like a young man pressuring an old woman into leaving Mm. her home for money, um, which is not exactly what happens in this play, but, the, just the power mm-hmm. um, difference in that. And yeah, I found this play very moving. Mm. So she writes that it was something like her 20th play. She, I think she was about 34 when she wrote it, and she had primarily written for radio before that. Um, mm. But still... She had written 19 plays before this one, and this is known as, like, her first big play, and I just find that very um, reassuring, mm. <laughs> you know? Like, what I, what happened to those other plays that were, you know, student <laughs> productions or just unperformed? Where are they? Um, if she has a computer, probably on her hard drive. <laughs> No, this was the seven. This was the sixties. She probably wrote them on a typewriter. Oh, yeah, you're right. So it reminds me of when we were talking to Sean, and he said, "Write a play." I think this was Sean, and he he said, "Write a play, and then throw it away, and write another play, and throw that one away." And write oh, mm-hmm. throw that one away. Oh, uh, Sean Demers. Sean Demers. Yeah, I think Carol Churchill took his advice <laughs> before he ever gave it. Um, I have a question. Were you at all surprised by the number of scenes per, per act? I wasn't because mm-hmm. um, I I think I have come to expect that from Carol Churchill. I mean, that's <laughs> one of the things I found so exciting when I first read. I think the first play I ever read of hers was A Number in college. And mm. I was so excited by the idea that you could have these really short scenes where there wasn't like a beginning, middle, and end to the scene. There's just like mm-hmm. some people talking about the weather or like their childhood trauma. And then mixed in with that, they're talking about like what they had for breakfast. And then the scene ends. <laughs> You're like, what just mm. happened? And then there's another scene um, where two people are talking about like some of the same stuff and some also some new stuff. And they just talk for a little while and that scene ends. Mm-hmm. It was totally mind blowing to me when I first started reading her work how she could make a play out of people talking about like random things in their days, and somehow it accrues yeah. 
to a story. Mm-hmm. But it's not like she's not like setting out to construct a beginning, a middle, and an end with a reversal and a revelation. And yeah. Um, at least it's not apparent to me. I mean, maybe she is doing that behind the scenes and she's just so good at hiding it that we don't see all the strings. But I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is a technique I've noticed all three plays when the, the start of a new scene is just mm-hmm. we're like far from what happened previously or like, oh, or maybe, mm-hmm. or maybe we don't know how far it is or something. But it's just yeah. the, because of the the characters, as soon as the scene starts, they're, they're talking something random or something that we just – Maybe that's maybe my confusion sometimes. Like, wait, where, where is this from? Like, because I'm so used to, you know, the scene kind of building and the characters mm-hmm. are building from the previous scene and then the information that's being taken from the previous and going forward. And maybe yeah. I was used to that. But she she still does that. But it's just the setting up of each scene. She's like creating a brand new perspective or something and she just drops us in and it feels so natural yeah it kind of makes me wonder what her writing process is like like does she write a 20 page scene and then chop off the first 18 pages (laughs) (laughs) you know like the last Hmm. two pages is the scene i don't know i or you know i i want to know how many drafts she goes through because it it seems so natural Mm -hmm. like we're just walking into people's living rooms and listening to real people talk um, yeah, it does feel that way. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Cloud nine. Oh, okay. Moving right along. <laughs> um, cloud nine. This play is just so weird. <laughs> I mean, it's so unlike any other play. Yeah. Maybe we should start by just saying, so there's two acts. Mm -hmm. Act one is set in the Victorian era. Um, Act two is set in London in 1979. But it's the same characters. It's like the same family. And for them, only 25 years have passed. Um, See? Already weird. Already weird. weird. Yeah. And and act one takes place in a British colony in Africa, but I don't think it tells us where. Mm. Um, it's pretty vague and generalized about that. Um, and the other thing I feel like we should mention for people who have not yet read this play is that in Act One, so it follows this guy Clive, who's a like administrator from the British Empire um, in this African colony. And then his wife, Betty, is played by a male actor, mm-hmm. and his black servant is played by a white actor. His son, Edward, is played by a woman. I think the son is supposed to be nine years old. And his daughter, Victoria, is played by a dummy, which I think just means like a uh-huh. doll, like a ventriloquist so. dummy, maybe. She never speaks. And then in Act Two, we have some of these same characters, um, except they are played by actors of their own sex. Mm-hmm. So now that I've laid the groundwork, Sarah, what did you <laughs> notice about this play? Um, so, oh gosh. Um, 
I think the biggest thing, and then I want to, after I speak, I'll provide a little context from um, what was a process. What was interesting was the process of writing this play from what I read. But Mm -hmm. um, it did feel like the first act, like the the guys, the the male characters just kind of like ran. You know, like it was their – it just felt so dominated by guys, like men. Yeah. And then yeah. the second act was really – And specifically English, like white English men. White English men, yeah. And then second act was – it It was like all the, the um, stereotypes of like women. Like it was all more women-centric for some reason. Like so there's this like two – I don't know if I want to say the two sides of the same coin but or something, but it was like – it just it, that's what I just noticed of with those mm-hmm. these two acts. And I want to say they were like um, following any kind of narrative between these two acts. Like it wasn't like, oh, the first act, we these characters, and then we're going to see them, what the story is at, by act two. It was just kind of like it felt like a whole other – thing a whole their play mm-hmm. to me um but yeah though, no, but i love that idea of them being kind of mirror images of each mirror other. images uh-huh yeah and yeah. yet somehow we've moved forward in time um but yeah but it's interesting to see how all of the kind of colonial brutality and trauma has carried forward into these individual characters' lives mm-hmm. and all their, I don't know, for lack of a better word, hang-ups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's a very queer play. I think the first time I read it, mm. that was the, really the main thing I was interested in was just how queer it is. Um, but there's so many layers. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned before the show how – Wait, or you've done a show, but you were mentioning like you read this multiple times and each time you're like surprised. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Is it each time you read, you just find something new about it? I think so. Or it's just like it's too much to hold in my mind all at once. And mm-hmm. so each time I read it, I'm noticing a different layer. This time I was really noticing Edward. He's this – well, in the first act, his – kind of love of this doll his sister's doll and he just constantly wants to be holding the doll and um and how every all the adults keep like shouting at him and slapping him in the face and Mm. like beating him up for loving this doll um Hmm. i don't know in that i just had kind of forgotten about that there's so much brutality. And oh. and what's interesting is the men, it's like the men talk about inflicting the violence, like killing people and beating people. And the women are like both complicit and hmm. um, trying to pretend that they're ignorant of it. Like they don't want to acknowledge that they even know it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like Carol was pre- presenting a lot of um, – she was already me-tooing before me <laughs> was cool. You know what I mean? 
Um, so. uh, yeah, and she was writing about toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity, yeah. Before, I mean, I don't know. Did people talk about toxic masculinity in the 70s? It was just talking about the 70s with Nick, but the 70s, right? It was <laughs> like power, like the free love time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I which weirdly also coincided with the rise of like serial killers. I don't know. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. So before I go off tangent here, um, what was interesting um, when I read um, the preface for this play, Carol Churchill mentioned the process of how Mm -hmm. it was written. Um, So first of all, it was written for joint stock theater group in 1978 to 1979. So the method you, you might recognize it. So it's like, Writer, director, actors, they all research a topic. You know, the writer goes away to write and then before returning um, for rehearsal. And then they, the writer has a, a rewriting period um, to workshop. And Churchill mentions that Cloud Nine lasted for three re- weeks, the writing period for 12, and the rehearsal for six. Um, and a quote that I would love to read here is... The workshop for Cloud Nine was about sexual politics. This meant that the starting point for our research was to talk about ourselves and share our different attitudes and experiences. We also explored stereotypes and role reversals in games and improvisations, read books, and talked to other people. Though the play's situations and characters were not developed in the workshop, it draws deeply on this material, and I wouldn't have written the same play without it. Um, So it seems like it was a very collaborative way to write yeah. this play like with a lot of involvement and a lot of people um so would you say this is devised <laughs> <laughs> well i love that i feel like that adds so much to our understanding of the play because it feels like such a multi-voiced piece of theater like mm-hmm. i i'm not sure a single mind even carol churchill could come up with something like this just by themselves you know it it Mm. does feel like it must have come out of so many different people's experiences and voices and ideas um yeah I think that sounds like a devising process Mm -hmm. yeah it does all right I just really love this play (laughs) and I really want to see a production of it can't you just imagine what like so they did their process, and then she was like, okay, I'm going to go write the play, and then she came back with this. Mm. And they were like, I mean, I just wonder, like, the first time reading this, how exciting that must have been. I could see um, in the room, like, how fun it might have been in the room. Like, okay, now after, you you know, you try playing this way, like, playing this way, and, like, put on, wear this hat, and let's just kind of, like, see what comes mm-hmm. of this scene. Like, mm-hmm. there was, I think, feel like as a play with in collaboration there was a lot of play involved um Mm -hmm. and but yeah yeah i would i would love to see how the process and being what the room was like what do you think about this idea of um so she has a note here about how um betty okay Betty, Clive's wife, is played by a man because she wants to be what men want her to be. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, Joshua, the black servant, is played by a white man because he wants to be what whites want him to be. I just feel like that's really... Hmm. I don't know if you could do that in 
21 or would want to. I mean, I, I, or I don't know. I mean, I just, it, it's a really radical and maybe painful decision to make, I think, on yeah. stage to have a white actor playing a black man. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I just feel like that's so loaded. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Because, I, I mean, so was the white actor in blackface? Like, I don't think so. No? It was just the character. I'm assuming not. Yeah. But once you've written a play like that, I mean, who knows what people are going to do. Kinda, decisions, dumb yeah. decisions people are going to do with it. Um, but, no, I'm assuming the – that she did not intend that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how people would interpret interpret the play today or, like, those decisions, the creative decisions behind it. Um, I don't know. I just feel like only – it's it's really it, – it does really feel like if – for, like, theater people who, like, study theater and understand what Carol Turgill is doing and then, like – like I can't, I can't imagine for like a wider public, this play mm-hmm. being presented. If 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 they are going by what she intended or what we're seeing on the page, like the description, like how it's supposed mm-hmm. to be played. Yeah. Um, well, it's just so painful. I mean, there's just so yeah. much pain in this play. I think it's. I think it's really important. Um. Mm-hmm within the context of like the damage of colonialism colonization but um i don't know i'm just having a really hard time imagining staging those scenes mm-hmm. well i hope a director's out there is ready to take this on <laughs> Okay, let's go to Glass Kill Bluebeard Imp. It's so funny. Okay, so before we start recording, Sam <laughs> asked which of the four of the short plays that I like the best, and I said Glass, and she said that was her least favorite, and she liked Imp the best, and that was I didn't my say, least I didn't favorite. say it was my least favorite. I just said I thought okay. Glass was. Um, what did I say? Kind of annoying. But I think my <laughs> I think my least favorite was actually Kill, which was the one with the gods and the oh, people. Okay. Yeah, well, it's so weird because okay, the first play to um, Glass, I I kind of I did like it the best. And then Kill, I liked it second best, and then Bluebeard at third. Li- and then in the imp, I was like, this is imp was just like back to confusion <laughs> again. Like, <laughs> um, and so yeah, let's talk about these four plays. I mean, yeah, it's kind of hard to. Because we're because we're used to on the show talk about each play, but this was a collection of four plays as one play. Right. Um, so I've, yeah. I'm going to just try to like see it as a collective of as one whole play. But um, I think what I liked about Glass Kill Bluebeard Imp all of them was um, just the language, just just straight mm-hmm. out, just like the language of like her creating this beautiful imagery and just the language and. I I fell into more into the language here than any of her other the other two plays we read. Yeah, well, it's I guess it feels much more familiar because it's contemporary. 
Mm. Um, and it's so there's so much more empty space in these plays mm. than the other ones. I, I just feel like there's a lot more silence is not the right word, but it feels more spare. Yeah. Why was glass your favorite? Um, maybe it's like so on the nose for me, but maybe it's just like literally a girl made of glass. <laughs> Uh, And how they're treating her or, like, how they see her. And um, there's just something there where I was, like, like, I don't know. I don't want to say I was relating to it or anything, but I was just (laughs) recognizing something here of how, you know, some men would view women or something that way. Yeah. Um, That part where she's talking to, like, the vase and the clock mm -hmm. about who's the most beautiful and who's the most useful made me think of um I'm gonna forget who this was, but there's some writer who is writing about women's anger and she and I read her book and she was talking about um teaching a class. Oh, I think she was talking to college students about why, you know, men don't have the right to share nude photos of their girlfriends which seems like a no-brainer, but, like, I guess the students are having a hard time understanding this because one male student asked her, like, well, why, like, how is it any different than sharing a picture of my toaster? (laughs) And so she was like, well, because one is a human being. Um, (laughs) One is an object that you literally own. And so I think that scene where the girl is talking to the clock and the vase you know it's it's kind of showing her as this like she's seen as an object that has utility and Mm. um aesthetic value but not necessarily as a human being Mm. yeah i think i'm liking it more now that i'm talking to you about it (laughs) um yeah, and in the stage direction or of this play, you know, there Carol says like there should be no attempt to make the glass girl look as if she is made out of glass. Mm-hmm. Um no effects making her seem invisible such as she looks like people look. Um but I was like, you know, what if she is made of glass? <laughs> like literally. Yeah. Um, I kind of just wondered though as I was reading. But there's just something about that that just how um, like maybe it's like labeling, like just how we would just like label certain women be a certain way. Mm, um, mm-hmm. and there's something about that with using glass as this metaphor. Um, yeah. Anyways, this one was really sad. It was really sad. Saddest one, I think. It was like short and sad. <laughs> That's why you like it. Um. Okay. Well, I really liked Imp. I don't know why. I love this idea of a character who just sits in her chair the whole play and never moves. I really liked Dot. <laughs> and then we find out that she's like actually done this horrible thing. Mm. Um, but even though she seems very considerate and nice um, and empathetic, she has done this horrible thing in her past. Um, also, I loved the bottle <laughs> with the imp. I don't know. Mm. This play to me was kind of about 
belief and do we choose to believe things or do we believe things without helping to and um yeah did you say that uh, this was these plays are written in reaction to harvey weinstein or there was something i found about i think bluebeard's friends this Mm -hmm. idea of um you know some well-known man is found to have committed horrible crimes mm-hmm. and and then you know kind of the conversation that comes after that about him and his behavior and what people knew or didn't know mm-hmm. um i think yeah so i think people saw it in the context of harvey weinstein but um i don't know about the other ones oh like what came first or when she, she wrote these plays right mm-hmm. yeah i feel like this is a nice um like an evening of like care churchill flavors <laughs> yeah um, a, a, like um a flight of carol churchill plays. yeah yeah <laughs> oh i like that yeah um so in this progression from owners to cloud nine to these collection of plays, like in one word, what would you describe just her maybe aesthetic? I don't know. Um, that's really hard. I have to pick one word to describe her aesthetic. I think so. Um, <laughs> A phrase? Okay, a short, a very short phrase. Okay, is there a word that means, like, dark and funny and brilliant and sharp? Because <laughs> that's the word I want. Oh, oh yeah, it's called Cho, Sarah Cho. <laughs> <laughs> um, but British. All of it oh, in the okay. British accent. Yeah, it's not Sarah Cho then. <laughs> um. I mean, I think it's really cool to look at these in in progression and see how her writing has changed and how it has stayed the same. It does seem like the same things are interesting her and mm-hmm. um, kind of the, she's obsessed with the same ideas and themes as she was when she was writing Owners, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I kind of... <laughs> this makes me think of um my uh Nick and I were have, were talking about how oh what is it maybe it was like introverts versus extroverts I don't know what we're talking about but people or maybe it's creatives I don't know people who just like think constantly about the world mm-hmm. like are stressed and miserable versus people who are just kind of aloof and they're like they're just like yeah it is what it is stop overthinking these things and just live your life you know like there's like two types which of one people. is introverts and which one is extroverts i don't know <laughs> i don't know if that, if that was a conversation oh i see from introverts versus extroverts maybe i'm just thinking it but maybe that's not what inspired the conversation but we we're just thinking about how people, maybe writers, maybe we're thinking about writers, like who just think constantly yeah. about the world or tend to be most miserable, maybe. Yeah, um, that's why we're all depressed. So depressed. Um, and then, and I, also I, that's why we're funny. <laughs> funnier than the average person. 
Um, maybe maybe because we were just like talking to a friend or someone acquaintance, and then they were just very like, "Can you believe that person over overthinking it? Man, just live your life, dude." <laughs> we're like, "Uh, what they're saying is valid because um, they're pointing out the flaws and everything." But um, it does sound I'll- nice to just live like in br- blissful uncaring ignorance. ignorance i mean that does sound nice is i if there was a a red pill blue pill <laughs> here's a pill that i'd live in blissful ignorance like i would take that yeah um but i wouldn't <laughs> no you wouldn't i would but um <laughs> but apparently i didn't pick that pill so um but i just think about you know just like for this many years, Carol Churchill was were writing these themes, trying to grapple, or like maybe it's just trying to grapple, trying to understand and like, you know, why it is the way it is, and women versus men, and pleasure, power, you know. And so, it's like she's still, she's she's still writing, um, yeah, these ideas. And then I don't know. I'm just trying to think. Like, did the world even? I don't know, changing towards these ideas that she's mm. trying to, you know. Like, did anything get any better? Yeah. In 1972? Oh. Wow, that's a really tough question, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even, you know, when Carol Churchill passes away and her plays still live on, but it's like, you know, are we still going to be like yeah nothing has changed and these are just still these themes we're still grappling with we're still struggling with or it's still here (laughs) Um, what do you think um do you think people are less sexist than they were in 1972 i don't know if it's less but there is just a maybe a little more of awareness than before maybe like I just find I see guys being like oh I'm sorry I said that oh I didn't mean like that way but you know they're like being more yeah I sometimes notice that but it's not like there's any improvement I mean I do think people let their boys play with dolls more Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Nick played with dolls yeah exactly (laughs) um Okay, this is the final question before we move on to Glisten that I want to ask. If each of these plays had a smell, what would the <laughs> smell be? Okay. For owners, um, I think there would be the smell of a butcher shop with meat that's like a little bit not quite rancid yet, but like starting to turn. Like the smell of blood and meat. Mm-hmm. But also a musty carpet smell Mm. for owners. Um, What would you say for owners? Uh, Let's see. I would say like like the dirty water in a mop mop bucket. Oh. It's kind of similar to what you're thinking. There's like this rant, a kind of like gross musty smell or something. But with bleach, like there's just like heavy bleach, but like the the mop bucket hasn't been cleaned. Cleaned, yeah. They so just dump water in it, put a lot of bleach in it. I was like something about that. I'm like, that's what makes me think of the smell. 
or a sad smell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Something we didn't talk about, but like everybody's having affairs all the time in Carol Churchill plays, by the way. Mm. I forgot to mention that. Okay. Cloud nine. Um, You go first. What does cloud nine smell like? Ooh. Okay. For some reason, I'm thinking lavender. Oh, interesting. Like lavender that's been soaked <laughs> with scotch. <laughs> like- <laughs> <laughs> wow. I Okay, I like smell it, like yeah. tobacco smoke and um, like fresh cut grass. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. So we're, it is kind of funny. We're like thinking something like earthy, something nature, but then. That's true. Yeah. Like lavender. Yeah. We both had a plant and then like something associated with, I guess, masculinity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, all right. For the last one. I don't know why, but I just have this sense of lemon, like something sharp and acidic. Hmm. Like at all the four plays, like collectively, like a, a smell of lemon. Um. You know, I'm not sure, but I'm yeah. But that's what I'm going to stick with. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Um. I. Maybe because it's just glass, the play glass, but I don't know why, but the, the smell of the bubbles, like... Like soap bubbles? Soap bubbles. But like that, oh, interesting. Yeah, the kids that you would... Like children's, you know, yeah. Children's play bubble, that bubbles. Like I smelled that. So like lemon and soap. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I, I like it. this game. This is I'm a good too. game. This is a fun game. Um, but it's really funny. I mean, our, our answers were different, but they they were kind of similar in terms of like the, the family of smell. <laughs> yeah. The vibe. The vibe. Yeah. That's um, fun. listeners, tell us your favorite Carol Churchill play and what it smells like. We <laughs> eagerly anticipate your answers. Yeah. Um, and feel free to, uh, school me. I want to be schooled. Uh, tell me, like, why, uh, what I'm missing here. And because, I mean, let this conversation be ongoing for the rest of my life. Maybe I'll reread her plays again. So I'm 30s. I'm in my 30s. Maybe I'll reread again <laughs> in my 40s, 10 years from now. And then see, like, okay. anything for me. And we'll come back and talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk about it. All right. Glistens. Let's move on to glistens. I think I should go first because mine is short. Um, okay. My glisten is about this woman in Alaska who went out to her outhouse in the middle of the night and sat down on the toilet and a bear bit her butt because <laughs> she looked down in the toilet and there was the oh head of a God. bear under the toilet seat. He had like gone in through a hole in the back of the outhouse and was just like hanging out there. Um, and apparently it was a small bite. I think she did get a tetanus shot, but mostly she was like, it's no big deal. It healed pretty quickly. I live in Alaska. No biggie. Was this, okay, was this like adult size bear or like a cub? No, it was an adult. I, I can't. I don't understand how big. he got in. I don't, I don't either. I mean, I don't think his whole body could have been in the outhouse, but maybe it was a big outhouse. 
Yeah, maybe. Just like hanging around in the poop. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's so gross. Poor bear. It's probably cold. Be careful out there, folks. Yeah, you don't know what you're going to sit on and bite you. <laughs> <laughs> What's your glisten? Oh, my gosh. I just could not – okay. Surprise, surprise. It's true crime. But <laughs> I binged watch this four-part um, docu-series called – it's a ser- it's a – it's a series called Crime Scene, and each season is like a different uh, true crime mystery. But it's, oh the, the, it's called uh, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel, which takes place in um, downtown LA. And what I loved about it, so it's this mysterious van- uh, disappearance of this this um, Chinese-Canadian girl named um, Alyssa Lam. Alyssa Lam. Mm-hmm. And Nick told me that when he moved to LA – he remembered seeing the headlines of this, finding a girl in a water tank naked. Oh, my God. And understand no one understanding how she got there or why. Um, but And then this document docuseries kind of goes into that. But the, the two things that what struck me about this show was the, the sort of this history of the Cecil Hotel, which was built, you know, like the Roaring Twenties. Like it was this like – great big play no not the wrong choice like earlier i don't know but this industrial time when la was just booming like people were moving to la and this this hotel was had like 700 rooms like it was like this big luxurious hotel mm-hmm. um the great depression hit and it became this hotel that just housed um like people who just couldn't afford to live on the you know they were living on the street and you know it was very affordable um, yeah so you so it was like, like long term residence yeah, housing mm-hmm. yeah which is now today is the skid row downtown la where mm-hmm. basically the the homelessness and um have progressed in a way like this area is when people get out of jail or people lose their home they just kind of end up on skid row in downtown la and mm-hmm. so a lot of just violence and drugs and just um, it's just like this encampment. Um, and so this girl, it was like trying to connect like the history, like what's going on here and like the disappearance of this young woman and how she became this like internet sensation. There's this video out there where she's like just doing this like random, like really weird, um, like clicking all the buttons in the elevator like this is the only footage of her before she went missing like doing this weird two-step and she's kind of like we're like is she drugged out what what's going on is there somebody right outside the elevator that she's afraid of like what's going on and so that's a mystery and then it's resolved at the end but i don't want to oh it is they answer what happened to her yeah do you want to know The listeners, um, I want to know, but our listeners might not want it spoiled for them. Yeah. Don't yeah. so go watch it, and then Sam will tell you off the air. <laughs> okay, okay. I don't know how you don't have nightmares all the time from watching all these true crime shows. I mean, I I do have nightmares. <laughs> I couldn't, but I, it's worth it for you. I I I think I don't. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like why? Just, I think especially women love true crime. It's such a thing right now. Why women? But for me, it's more so like I love seeing um 
just like, I don't know, like I, I love seeing the context, like what was going on and mm. like what what was going on in the world and the state, the country, wherever, you know, and then like where did this like in this like large scope of life, you know, like how why did this happen to this person? And kind of like Do you feel to- like it gives you this like um this illusion of logic if you think you can make sense of like some horrific senseless crime and you feel like oh now I understand it so I'm safer in a way because hmm. I'm fooled into thinking that it makes some kind of sense oh interesting maybe maybe and when, one of the things that the, the docu-series shed light on is about these like amateur sleuths internet sleuths they're like they see this <laughs> weird thing they're like they're all like working together like finding a community trying to figure this mystery out um so it kind of makes me think of that and maybe there's something like that i'm trying to make sense like of. the search the search is what's fun the search for meaning or the search yeah. for understanding yeah and yeah yeah and yeah maybe i think that's my it could be that I just I don't know it's like the mystery suspense and like it's it's scary <laughs> like I was like I guess it's like there's a lot of scary things and like this maybe if I could just understand this scary thing <laughs> well you're a stronger person than I am because I have no stomach for yeah oh gosh watching scary things like that yeah I um I blame Barbara Walters 2020 <laughs> That's my that's my origin of true crime. Like she was just talking about all these uh, disappearances and vanishings and murders. <laughs> Thanks, I'm pretty Barbara. sure you were you were interested in serial killers long before Barbara Walters <laughs> told you about true crime. Maybe. All right. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. And hey, if you are enjoying Beckett's Babies. Um, Don't forget to share it with your friends. Maybe write us a review. Um, What else do we want them to do? Uh, Live your your lives. (laughs) Live your life. And tell us your favorite Carol Churchill play and what it smells like. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And always uh, feel free to reach out to us. We've got Twitter, Instagram. Uh, if you see a question that we ask online, answer it. (laughs) We want to hear your thoughts. So, all right. Cool. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Bye.